Back here at CHI Health Center as we are a couple hours away, three and a half hours away from tip-off tonight. It's Dollar Beer Night at the Chai Center. It's the annual tradition. The Blue Jays this year facing off against Georgetown as the fans will be well lubricated before this one. Someone who will not be partaking, uh, though he probably wishes he could because, Mm. you know, dollar beers don't come around every day. Matt DeMarinas, White and Blue Review. Matt, how you doing? What's up, boys? How are we? Good. Josh, are you a are you a chai guy or are you a chai guy? I, saw, I heard John uh, I say, say chai. Yeah, because so when he I. just said chai health center, I was like, wait a second, did he just like it's like calling it an ATM machine? Uh, but then yeah. I realized no, he, he did say it correct. But yeah, I, I, I say chai. I, I emphasize well, the letters. When I when I Same. when I when I say it by its full name, it's the chi health center. But if I just want to mm-hmm. go with the shortened the chai. Mm. It works. I don't think I'm not sure how much I even say the. I'm just usually like CHI. CHI. Just, yeah, I don't even say the health center Omaha part. But mm. I mean, you're more official, and you have to say the names of everything, you know, in your role. So, well, yeah, John is of play by play. I am of play of play by play. Many details. <laughs> Matt, We're not three-pointers. They're five points bank three Bank three-pointers, yes. I, and I still get questions to this day. I mean, that's been a sponsorship predating my time, and uh-huh. I still get questions about what is that? What uh, what Did he make a five-point? What is that? And I have to explain, you know, no, there it's used a sponsorship. To, there used to be one by my house, like, back way, like, 10, 15 years ago or whatever, for a little bit. It, like, it changed names a lot. But yeah, it was, well, there is one there by one. my house. I've seen so. one before. They exist. I've oh, seen yes. them before. Yeah. Yes, they do. They exist near my house. Matt, uh, Xavier, I thought, was one of the more complete efforts of the season, not because they scored a ton of points or they held Xavier to under 60 or anything like that, but it just seemed like for that game, everybody fit a specific role. And even if some of those guys, and I'm thinking like Trey Alexander specifically, who didn't shoot it great. They all did enough of what they needed to do in that game for the result to happen as it did. I'm curious when you look at that game and just kind of look at how everyone's role played out in that contest, if you saw the same thing I did. I think I I think I did because Jacob and I talked about it, you know, pretty extensively that we just felt like it was the it was a Creighton basketball game by design where everything went by design. Like they took the shots they always want to take. Uh, they made Xavier take the shots that they want opponents to take. Um, they got everybody involved offensively um, and defensively. Like, you know, the guys that need to be disruptive were disruptive. Trey Alexander, Baylor Scheinman, Ryan Kalkbrenner. Um, it, it just felt like a when Creighton goes into a game with a checklist of here's how like we have to play to give ourselves a chance to win. That's it felt like Creighton checked off almost every single box that they need to check off in terms of their style and their scheme. Matt called Brenner, another 20 point game. He's now done it three of the last four. Like, do you think maybe outside of tonight, of course, like does he need to keep, keep playing at this level for the rest of the season? And do you think he can? Yes and yes. I mean, I think I think honestly, th- this season is going to be easy to predict the rest of the way because the dudes need to be the dudes. Um, you know, we know enough about this rotation now to know who needs to perform at what level for them to have a chance to win on a nightly basis, especially the way the schedule is going to shake out the rest of the way. And then, 
the other part of it is like, yeah, I think he is capable of it. That's kind of why, um, you know, a few weeks ago, whatever, against UConn, when he was kind of iced not only by, you know, UConn's defense, but by Creighton's own offense. Like, they just didn't incorporate him enough to make his impact felt on the end of the floor, you know? that's That was part of the part of the analysis there was that you don't he's so good on the other on the other end of the floor that it doesn't get talked about enough on offense like he when you compare him to the rest of the big men in the country he's you know other than Zach Eady there's no one that can impact the game on end to end for as long as they can as Kalkmenner like he's the best conditioned big man in the country He's one of the most effective at scoring off the move, um, at protecting the rim on the other side, at setting ball screens and getting guys, you know, leverage advantages downhill. Like he's he's one of the best in the country. And I think to only pin him down to being a, a rim protector and a screener, you know, neutralizes, you know, essentially half of his effectiveness because he is capable at scoring at an, at an effective rate too. So he has to be a part of their offensive production um, for them to be as successful as they want to be. And I think that's something that needs to continue going forward. And I think the games that we've seen, it's no, it's no coincidence that Creighton's offense has been one of the five best offenses in the country since that UConn game. You know, when you look at Kalkbender's involvement in his production, he's the linchpin to this whole thing. And really for one of the few times this year, we saw a lot of pick and roll, a lot of lobs. Um, it, it felt more a little bit like last year uh, at times. And now, granted, a lot of that was facilitated from Shireman, but we saw Stephen Ashworth get into the act. It's been hard to do that just by the way that teams have glued themselves to Kalkbrenner and they've not allowed that play to develop. But is that something that could be more part of the offense here as the season drags on? Or it was was this kind of a one-off just based on how Baylor was – or not Baylor, I'm sorry, how Xavier was covering? Um, I'm trying to think, you know, who kind of stacks up personnel-wise like Xavier does. Because I'm trying to think if they, they might have – in terms of the teams that Creighton's going to play the rest of the way, I think they might have the worst defensive front court. So – That's fair. You know what I mean? So I, I think that their their coverage, their ability to cover pick and rolls is probably – yeah, I mean, Creighton's going to play Georgetown tonight, so that might be another one. But, like, the rest of the way, I think teams are better equipped to guard that action than Xavier was. Like, Creighton just picked Xavier apart, honestly, both games, really. Um, and I think, you know, when Xavier went into this next one, they were probably thinking from a defensive standpoint – you know, don't let Creighton get hot from three and just try to, you know, make it a track meet and beat them that way. Um, because they were really – I mean, they they forced a live ball turnover and got a runaway dunk on the first play of the game. They were really pressuring, you know, Creighton's wings and, and guards. And I just think that of when once Creighton realized that Kalkbender was able to, you know, play one-on-one as much as Xavier was going to allow him to play one-on-one and, and get behind, you know, that, that – that helped defender in pick and rolls as much as he was as good as he is scoring off the move in general. It just felt like an easy, easy thing that Creighton could get offensively. And Xavier wasn't really equipped to defend it because of the attention they were paying to the perimeter. So 
once that got going, then the chain reaction started. But I just think Xavier's not really well equipped from a matchup standpoint to defend to defend the role man in a pick and roll as well as maybe some of the other teams in the league are. Hey man, I want to go back to something you said in the answer to my first question, and that was, you know, basically the dudes are going to have to be the dudes. Um, you know, there's been plenty of discussion, of course, about the bench and the lack thereof in terms of uh, just you know raw performance this year. I wonder what a best case scenario is for that that group going into the Big East tournament, going into the NCAA tournament. Like, if you're a Creighton fan, are you just hoping that you know it just doesn't bite them at the worst time? Like, what, what again? What's a best case scenario for the bench? For the bench, I think. I mean, I think you want. I don't know if you want to put Mason Miller in this category or not, but I think I think there's tiers. And I think, you know, when you look at who has to play well for Creighton to have a chance, it obviously starts with that that main three of Trey Alexander, Ryan Cockburn, and Baylor Shireman. And then Steven Ashworth obviously is an important piece in like a next tier by himself. Um, but I think that's like a core four right there, you know. I think Mason Miller gets can get put in with the rest of the other guys in terms of variables that are a little bit unknown just because they're they're the rest of the guys after those four, their performances have varied dramatically throughout the season, right? And so I think there's some interchangeability there, like from a matchup standpoint and just from an effectiveness standpoint on a nightly basis. So I think best case scenario would be to get it like to get to eight trustworthy guys, I think, you know, because Whichever one you want in the starting lineup, it's been Mason Miller all year, so I don't think that changes anything. But if Isaac Trout starts hitting shots, especially because Creighton's putting him at the five more now, and that looks like where he might slot in the rest of the year because I don't think you'd do it right now if you didn't think that was your best option going forward for the stretch run. So if he starts knocking down shots again as a stretch five to spell some more minutes for Kalkbrenner on the bench, that's huge because it preserves just a little bit more pop for Kalkman at the end of games here. And then I think when Farabello has interchangeability too, because he can play in the small ball lineup, but he can also, you know, handle the ball, initiate offense. He's, you know, he's obviously a great spot up shooter um, and he's a smart defender. So he's a guy that's obviously going to stay in that main rotation and fill the role that he has. He's been super solid all year with what he's brought, um, even though it doesn't always like look like the sexiest stat line every night. And then if you know if Mason Miller can continue to do what he does, shoot the way he's capable of, especially the way he shot earlier in the season, and then Jason Green being the wild card as a guy who can give you something that not a lot of the players right now have given you on the team, which is like energy, defense, crashing the offensive glass, dealing a possession or two away, stealing a point or two away. Like he, you know, the end of the first half against the Providence in the Providence game, most recently was a big potential spark for Creighton had they not come out in the second half and just started giving the ball away. You know, that those four points that he stole them at the end of the first half when both teams were struggling offensively, that kind of was a catalyst a little bit. If Creighton had taken care of the ball, you know, they could have won fairly comfortably, um, you know, in Rhode Island there. And then the end against Xavier, he was part of the spark as well because he drew an extra possession with an offensive – with his aggressiveness on the offensive glass – you know, he didn't get a rebound for it. He didn't get a stat for it, but he drew a foul. It gave Creighton an extra possession and it allowed them just to settle into that game. So I think, you know, going eight deep and finding consistent contrib- contributions from those guys in those manners, I think will be a good supplement to the rest of the guys. Matt DeMarinas, White and Blue Review, joining us here on Sportsmanlike Conduct. The opponent tonight, Georgetown, uh, when I was 
doing some research for this game. Granted, Georgetown's one and eleven. Uh, their only win is on DePaul, against DePaul. But if you look at the margin of victory, they've actually been better on the road than they've been at home. Uh, they've basically cut the margin of defeat in half uh, from about twenty points on average at home to about ten points on the road. And also a difference in this matchup is that Jaden Epps will play tonight that he did not in the game in DC. And we've seen he's a streaky three point shooter. And we all know how folks seem to find a good streak against Creighton from deep. Should folks not necessarily be filing this one away as the last easy game of the season? Mm, I mean, it is the last easy game of the season. I <laughs> maybe don't file it away as like, an easy win because of what Georgetown has done away from home, I guess would be the best way I would put it. It definitely should be on paper. It's the easiest game left. Sure. Um, I th- you know, it's funny cause I can't really figure out why Georgetown is better away from home. Cause like when you, when you break down their individuals, like there's not, you know, I think uh, Dontrez styles is shooting 49% from three on the road. So that's big, I guess. Um, and, and, uh, I think Drew Felder is the only other guy that has like a, a crazy disparity in his road home splits, but he's kind of, you know, he's like a sixth, seventh man kind of guy. So, you know, right. um, I know I can't really figure it out. I think, so I think this might be a lazy narrative, but I think maybe just teams like take them too lightly. You know, they think, oh, we got Georgetown at home. It'll be, you know, an easy night, roll the ball out and take care of business kind of thing. Cause when you look at what these teams have done to Georgetown in Georgetown's building, versus what they did to them then in the return game at home. Like, I mean, UConn got punked at home by Georgetown and then just blitzed them in the road game. You know what I mean? And then, like, Xavier could have easily lost that game at Centos against Georgetown, which is yeah. crazy to think about. You know, like, so I don't know. I It's weird that Georgetown has been, you know, sneaky competitive away from their own building for some reason because there's not really a statistical performance that would show you – the reason I think maybe it's just teams just, you know, don't take them seriously and assume it's going to be an easy win. And I think that's the challenge for Creighton tonight. Like they're, they're a better basketball team across the board than Georgetown is. So the challenge for them will be to hook it up and be focused and not take them lightly. Because if you're Creighton right now at 17 and seven, you just got to win over Xavier to kind of like steer your ship in the right direction after losing to, Butler and Providence, right? Close games, but you lost. Like, you don't want to come back home and then mess it up by, you know, screwing around with Georgetown and giving them a chance to beat you and possibly losing that game in your own building. Because then the rest of the schedule is like, all right, nothing but absolute buzzsaws the rest of the way. Teams that are either desperate for their postseason lives or in position to pass you from a seeding standpoint, both NCAA tournament-wise and Big East tournament-wise. So, this is an important game for Creighton, even though it will never show it on paper. You know, Creighton has to come out with a, with a level of focus and a level of maturity to put this game away because they're a better basketball team. They just need to prove it um, when the ball's tipped. Like, don't mess around with this kind of opponent because the rest of the schedule doesn't have this type of situation. No. Like, you're not going to be you're not going to be a heavy favorite on paper anymore the rest of the year for this game. You know, they're all they're all going to be games that you can lose. They're all going to be toss-up type games um, with maybe the exception of like Seton Hall, but that's, you know, the rest of the games are all going to feel like postseason games the rest of the way after this one. So don't mess around with this one. Take it and put it in the right column. 
Matt DeMarinas, White and Blue Review. Good stuff, as always, from Matt. You can read his great work at whiteandbluereview.com. Matt, we appreciate it, as always. Thanks. We'll uh, see you here in the building a little bit later on tonight, and uh, we'll look forward to the rest of the season. We've got one – basically, it's one month to go now until the conference tournament. It feels like it's here already, so it might – you know, every day is going to be – like, oh, man, this matchup is crazy, you know? I mean, UConn, Marquette, and Creighton are going to play, like, four or five times now over the next three, four weeks. Like, those are all teams that can win national championships, I think. So, like, that's going to be crazy fun. Matt, take care. Good talking to you guys. You bet. Thanks, Matt. Matt, Matt DeMarinas, White and Blue Review. We've got more to come here on Unsportsmanlike Conduct. Happy hours straight ahead. And we will continue with the program right after this on 1620 The Zone.